day, everybody. Welcome back into Mining Stock Daily and some Wednesday afternoon market analysis. Uh, welcoming in uh, somebody who's just been a complete joy to know and get some advice from uh, over the greater part of the last year, and that is our anonymous green chicken friend, Doomberg. Hey, Doomberg, I got to tell you, that coffee cup that I got from you, the coffee's never tasted sweeter. Uh, Trevor, it's, it's great to be back and to speak with you. It's always fun to... Uh... To converse with you about the markets as we do uh, plenty offline and, and thanks for uh, mentioning the the coveted Doomberg mugs uh, we passed a significant milestone today having sold our our 500th mug oh nice um, we we had a little fun on Twitter we were sitting at 499 and so um, we posted a picture of it and said who's got next and then we um, subsequently congratulated the 13 people who bought the 500th mug <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, so there's been a couple, well, actually not a couple, one big kind of change or something you've launched here recently on top of the incredible Substack uh, that you re- that you began a while ago, which was really a big inspiration for the MSD Extra Substack. Uh, thank you for your input and advice on that. Uh, but you started a new podcast with our colleague Grant Williams called This Week in Doom. And you, there is the first episode is out there. Uh, you know, give us kind of the, the lay of the land with This Week in Doom and what you guys are going to do with that. Yeah, so uh, both of us are good friends with Grant Williams, and he's just really a spectacular person and all-around good guy to know and, and very giving. And uh, he has a, a series of podcasts behind his paywall on the Grant Williams podcast series, um, including very famously, of course, The End Game, where he and, and Bill Fleckenstein um, have a show together. He has a show with Stephanie Pomboy, who's a fantastic macroeconomic uh, analyst and, and thinker. And then also he has a show with um, Ben Hunt. And so we were very humbled when Grant reached out and, and asked us to, um, to co-create a new podcast with him under his umbrella called This Week in Doom. And uh, the point of that podcast will be to um, showcase other content creators that may be flying a little bit under the radar and, and elevate them to Grant's uh, extensive subscriber list. Um, it is, of course, uh, behind the paywall. You can find it at the grant-williams.com. And Grant has uh, a whole plethora of really fantastic product offerings. He's really one of the, the great thinkers and really one of, truly one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. And so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. As you say, we, we've done one episode. We're looking forward to having you on and um, having a few other content creators on as well. And to give different vantage points that you know, Grant's wide array of, of, um, uh, of subscribers who happen to be pretty significant investors um, give them a chance to see some different thinking. Because um, as we've said, you know, the, the gig economy for brains is exploding and the manner in which people are educated and entertained is becoming highly fragmented. And, and we want to be part of that. And in the spirit of giving and, and highlighting other content creators, uh, we've created this platform to do that. Uh, I look I look forward to every single episode of This Week in Doom. I think it's going to be great. And obviously anything that you put out is great. Anything that Grant puts out is tremendous. So obviously a powerhouse team. Uh, I mean, it's just going to be incredible how things kind of uh, roll things out here in the coming months and year. Uh, but uh, Doomberg, let's, let's cut to the chase here. It's Wednesday afternoon uh, in uh, tomorrow morning. We're going to get the CPI print. Uh, for January. And it's and the consensus is like over 7% year over year inflation, which is incredible that we have a consensus expectations of over 7%. But I just really want to focus on a few moves today that's happening in the market and get your thoughts and whether it's saying something to us. Uh, you know, obviously, Mining Stock Daily, we always focus a lot on the precious metals. The gold's at 1835. It is up. Holy cow. 
seven out of the last eight days, or yeah, seven out of the last eight days, uh, the the general stock market is up over one percent all around. Uh, well, the Dow Jones is about seven tenths of a percent, but the Nasdaq is up one and a half. Spy is up one point two. But also, what I pointed out and put it out on Twitter is DBA, the uh, AG ETF, is just skyrocketing. You know, look all around. I mean, there's a lot of green. What is is the market saying anything to us today, in front of this CPI print? So I don't know if, if the CPI is a leading or a lagging indicator, but I do see the same breakouts on my screen. I'm looking at the DBA chart right now, and it's a very clear, you know, breakout to. Uh, pretty extensive new highs here, uh, at least on the on the one year chart. Um, and also, I think, you know, oil had a huge draw today, even though the price of oil is kind of muted on it. Um, There's sort of a consolidation at all today, but still stuck around that um, $90 a barrel price range, which um, you would think would be inducing far more supply um, at these elevated prices. But, you know, as we've written about, and, and you've probably noted as well, the the capital allocations in that sector just aren't sort of responding in the traditional ways that we would think in part because of the ESG pressures and uh, the defund movement. Also, um, you know, a lot of these oil companies are emerging from bankruptcy and are running for cash uh, and trying to exert a little bit of discipline. And so um, we we could very well be, you know, we were chatting before we came on the air here. Um, it's hard to tell when when you're truly at a breakout uh, in the commodity sector or whether this is sort of a local moment of euphoria that maybe you should should sell into. Um, and that's the continuous sort of conundrum that uh, commodity investors who've been waiting so long for their moment in the sun. Um, how do you know when to let it ride and, and when not to? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the oil trade. Uh, last week in Vancouver, I had uh, BNN on the TV, which was always fun. And some caught my attention. There was a story out about uh, the an oil analyst from Desjardins reported literally to buy Canadian oil equities with quote-unquote reckless abandon. <laughs> and I thought coming from Desjardins, maybe that was a reckless statement, but you don't very often hear such a, you know, a fist-pounding-on-the-table sort of call from a from a major bank and analyst. Yeah, and again, it's, is that a sign of the top? Or, you know, I, again, if you look at sort of Canadian bellwether names in the commodity sector like tech, um, sitting here on my screen in U.S. dollars touching 36, I, I remember hovering over the buy button at the peak of the financial crisis uh, on tech and when it was trading for six dollars a share mm -hmm. and here it is up uh, six you know a six banger in in a little over a little less than two years it's been a pretty remarkable run for tech and so that's the the constant conundrum if you're sitting here with such huge gains is it time to maybe shave a little off or are we truly just at the beginning of a commodity super cycle you had um, the head of commodities at goldman sachs out earlier this week calling for uh, or labeling the current situation a molecule crisis, um, which is a, a nice turn of phrase, but also very consistent with what we've been writing about for months. So, you know, when you referred to DBA earlier, to us, that's just a manifestation of the um, of the ongoing cost and supply pressures around fertilizer being pushed down the chain and, and driving prices higher. Um, and, um, you know, we were at a agricultural conference a couple of weeks ago with our mutual friend, Tony Greer, and um, several dozen very large farming operations uh, and the, and the talk of the conference was uh, how fertilizer had doubled and tripled and and how much less they were going to use or how they were going to shave down their expectations on yield per acre or how they were going to revert back to using manure um these these um 
you know, sort of echoes of the energy crisis in Europe that have spread to Asia and now infiltrated the, the food chain are extraordinarily inflationary. And so to the extent that the increase in food and energy costs um, that we saw it at the end of uh, 2021 and into January, if those become better reflected into the CPI figures, it could surprise to the upside. Um, having said that, C CPI is a notoriously difficult calculation to model. There's all kinds of assumptions that the government bureaucrats use when they calculate that number, um, but it, it, it certainly seems like um, the inflation-deflation debate is over. It's just a matter of how prolonged and how extensive the inflationary pulse that we're currently experiencing will be. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of things that happened the last couple of weeks that a lot of people thought, well, maybe this is the top and the end of the commodity trade. And I'm thinking specifically of the Barron's cover about a month ago that mm -hmm. called out the commodity trade. A lot of people that have been investing for a long time said, well, if that's on the cover, it's time to get out. It's time to sell because that's usually the sign. But then Jim Cramer from CNBC comes out and he gets all bullish commodities and oil stocks, which a lot of people also at the same time feel like that's a sign of the top. But I mean, Duberg, I mean, is it, I, I hate these words, but is this, is this time different? Well, it's never different. Having said that, um, we have a lot of, discussions around the office about how difficult it is to experience, say, a 20 or a 30 time return on your investment. Mm -hmm. Because when you're sitting at three or four and you get a pullback, which is always natural because you know nothing goes up in a straight line, um, it's very, very difficult psychologically to stick with a trade if the fundamentals haven't changed and the market is uh, pulling back on you. Especially if, if ironically, especially as you, you're sitting on a, a substantial win. Um, and in fact, the sort of a classic failure mode of, of retail investors, of which we would uh, unquestionably you know, classify ourselves as, um, is this selling your winners too soon and holding on to your losers uh, for too long. And uh, one never knows. I, I still am very bullish on oil and gas, um, mostly because the supply response just isn't there. You know, we wrote a piece this week um, about the Qatar natural gas situation. And uh, it's really just remarkable how, you know, uh, uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals, a three-judge panel, can put a halt to a, a project that's 94% complete and in year five of construction, which has the, the, the effect of stranding natural gas in Appalachia and limiting um, the U.S.'s ability to exert geopolitical power at a time where it desperately needs it. And so instead, you know, we're, we're left to beg the Emir of Qatar to, um, you know, to send his flotillas of LNG to Europe instead of Asia, uh, ostensibly in response to a potential attack on Ukraine from Putin. These things are all connected. You know, we have this crazy energy policy in North America, and um, ultimately it manifests itself in less supply. And so I don't see the, um, the constraints of new exploration lifting anytime soon. And so I kind of view pullbacks in the market as opportunities to increase my position. You know, you and Bill Maher have a lot in common. You know that. I was just thinking last week. <laughs> last week, Bill Maher, in his closing <clears throat> statement on his show, you know, he was addressing why so many people were giving giving him shit for going after the Democratic Party so much in the last year or more. And he says, "Well, they keep giving me things to make jokes about." You know, yeah, long story yeah. short, uh, with you in the in the Doomberg Substack especially with the energy policy, is they continue to provide you yeah. stuff to uh, write about. It's funny you should say that because uh, we, we, I think we've written 86 articles 
and when we first started, we like never imagined that we would be able to write, you know, after 10, we might run out of stuff. And like you say, um, if if your if your Substack is to document the insanity of our energy policy, there's a limitless supply of, of uh, <laughs> material for, for the latest post. Um, just to give everybody the name of the latest post is called uh, Contortion Nation. And uh, we, we talk about how, um, you know, despite the fact that Qatar has this very abusive policy against its migrant workers, we've gotten in bed with them because we, we have this geopolitical weakness of um, of Europe having messed up its its energy policy. And, and so, you know, these things matter. Um, and until uh, unless and until we see a sea change in the stance towards the approval of new energy projects in North America, we don't see any real reason to remain uh, to, to, to go bearish on energy. Um, you know, we do say, uh, you know, in, in a few of our pieces that ultimately, if energy gets too expensive, the economy collapses because you can't grow with high energy costs. But we're not there yet. I, I want to stick with this energy theme, but kind of switch gears here to a specific news item that was out this morning. Uh, curious if you read and looked into the Cameco news, their financial their financials were reported today, but there's some very interesting pieces of information uh, about slowly ramping up production. Uh, did you read the news article and what were your takeaways from the Cameco news? I did. And my main takeaway is that um, despite this sort of being the bear case boogeyman of skeptics of the uranium trade, um, the announcement um, hasn't really impacted prices um, all that much. And in fact, Sprout Physical Uranium Trust is is up on the day um, measurably. Um, and so I, I kind of think that this is a clearing event um, that the market expected. I don't think that there's anything too bearish about the development. Um, ultimately, with the buildout of, of nuclear reactors in China and the labeling of, of uranium as um, a green in the, th in, in, in the um, European Union's sort of uh, energy strategy for decarbonizing their economy, um, I don't think the sort of the bullish thesis um, is hurt by this development. I view it as sort of a, a, a validation that there there is going to be an increasing demand for uranium. And then lastly, I think ultimately the the trade will pan out when Sprott gets listed on the New York Stock Exchange and uh, a much higher you know allocation of, of money could be put towards uranium. Uh, and that's sort of the big event that we're looking for and to see how the market responds to that. Have you ever seen a company report such a terrible year explicably in like knew, knowing they were going to do that, but then also increase their dividend by 50%. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I wish I actually, I could kind of applaud them. Um, <laughs> it too many of our companies have gotten so short-term focused and are worried about quarterly reports. You know, it, it's actually, I think management should be focused around long-term value creation and the day-to-day -day mark to market of the stock be damned. Um, and so I, I, I if they feel confident in their ability to support that dividend in the long term, then yeah, report the report the year as you had it, and then um, express your confidence in the company on a go forward basis. Yeah. Um, Dunberg, as we wrap up, I do want to know other than the CPI prints, just curious, what other items in the market are you going to be paying attention to here in the coming days and weeks? Uh, I, obviously, I'm watching the gold price. The copper price is also very interesting to me. It's trying to break out once again today. We'll see if there's follow through. But you know, what, what else are you paying attention to specifically? We we'd love to pay attention to um, LNG prices in Asia and Europe as a sort of a Rosetta Stone for geopolitical risk. And um, we would argue that if there truly was going to be a breakout in hostilities 
over the Ukraine issue, that we would see natural gas TTF begin to move much, much higher than it currently is today. In fact, we view the relatively uh, dormant nature of that to be a sign that maybe some of the um, hysteria and propaganda that we're experiencing in the U.S. around the Russia issue is a little bit overblown. Um, I'd personally be, we'd personally be very surprised if Putin made a move in Ukraine. Um, our sources um, that have pretty significant knowledge uh, of the area tell us that the chasm between what's being reported in the U.S. and, and the reality on the ground couldn't be, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't be more wide. And and to us, you know, that's the number. Every morning when I when I get up and fire up my Bloomberg and get my first cup of coffee, the first chart I pull up is how the uh, natural gas is trading in Europe. Um, because that's sort of my Rosetta Stone for the most important geopolitical question that, that lies in front of us vis-a-vis -vis commodities, which is, um, is Russia going to invade? And if Russia did invade, then all bets are off as far as the types of prints we can see in the commodities that you and I follow and that your listeners are very interested in. I got to give props to French President Macron for stepping in here, actually. It's, it's just no question that France has a long history of marching to its own drummer, um, for better or for worse. And I think that uh, sort of an adult conversation is probably needed. I, I, I was bemused by uh, Joe Biden proclaiming that he personally would cancel the uh, Nord Stream 2 project, uh, which is a, a pipeline that connects two countries, uh, neither of whom have the name uh, United States of America in them. Yeah, no. yeah it what an interesting time. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how this all plays out. I'm with you. I, I can't wake up in the morning and see what happened overnight while I was sleeping and see how things kind of progress here uh Doomberg, i appreciate your time it's great to catch up with you once again i really appreciate you jumping in and doing this market analysis for us today uh it, we'll do it again here in the next coming next coming months how does that sound a anytime talk to you soon trevor yeah. that's Doomberg, everybody and that's a wrap today uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning with the morning briefing here on mining stock daily have a wonderful evening be well the information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.